Hi, I'm Katie Kempner, and welcome to Perspectives, which is a series of inspiring conversations with remarkable working women. And I'm extremely excited to share today's episode, where I'm speaking with Managing Director at Chase, Lorinda Rainey. Lorinda, welcome. Thank you. Hello. It's so good to be here. It's so good to have you. I've been hoping you could come on and talk with us for a really long time. And, and now you're here. And I think maybe just to sort of set the stage, you know, you've you've had such a great career so far and, and more to come. But can you kind of talk a little bit about your career journey, please? Yeah, of course. Um, I like to describe myself as a right and a left brain marketer, and that helps ground everyone in some of the different choices that I've made because I've worked in a variety of different industries and done different things, but it's always with the storyline of I love emotional and rational connections that you make with customers, and I'm also a nerd who loves thinking about data and how do you prove out the impact. So um, I have always known that I wanted to work in business. My parents were small business owners, and I uh, went into undergrad studying psychology and marketing and business to try to figure out the path that I wanted to pursue. Um, after undergrad, I worked at Cigna Healthcare in a general management rotational program, rotating through operations, underwriting, and marketing. That set me up for going back to business school to pursue my MBA, and I anticipated shifting in more consumer-focused marketing coming out of business school, which I did working at Procter & Gamble. From my time at PNG, I decided that maybe I wanted to focus more on services, like my experience at healthcare. So I went to American Express. And after being at American Express, um, I learned a significant amount, first time managing some things related to P&L. And um, I started getting calls from recruiters. And that happened to coincide with my father's uh, failing health. Uh, he passed away to cancer about a year after I returned to Arkansas. And what took me to Arkansas was a job at Walmart. And so through my years at Walmart, I grew from starting off in purely marketing, navigating through different roles and ended up leading new member acquisition for the Sam's Club business as my last position before leaving to return to financial services at JPMorgan Chase. And when I came back to JPMC, I was leading a portfolio of cards that included brands like British Airways and Intercontinental Hotel Group. And I currently now lead the business with United Airlines as the general manager of the co-brand card for United. Wow. <laughs> That's quite an impressive resume. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about not work, but through you decided um, one, let me say it this way. One thing I really like to talk about is how you balance such a big career with being a mother and mm -hmm. especially a single mother, something I was for quite a while as well. So I really understand how tricky it is. So you have this huge role, you have this beautiful daughter. How do you figure out to make it all happen? Yeah, I um, part of I love to tell part of the story of how I became a mother 
is um, I'm also a cancer survivor. And through my medical experiences is how I decided to freeze my eggs, which is why I believe good things can come from bad situations. Um, and because if, if that had happened, I wouldn't be a mother today. Um, my daughter is a beautiful gift of the miracle of IVF. And so I was able to think through what is it going to take for me to be able to manage my career and be a mom. So I'm very lucky that I have a lot of help. Um, even though I am a single mom. So, um, and I, I don't, I intentionally don't feel guilt about it. Um, it's, it's something that I've intentionally had to work through because I think about others who have grandparents or spouses and nearby relatives. My family lives very far away from us where we are in Philadelphia. I am fortunate that I have really great uh, loved ones and friends who are willing to travel to me. So I took my entire four months of maternity leave and then throughout the majority of my, my daughter's first year of life, once I return to work, I travel about once a month, once or twice a month. And if, if it's overnight, I would have someone come and stay with us. And um, But I'm very in tune with my daughter because I spend so much time with her. And so she's very perceptive and she would notice that like a sister would be there or a brother would be there or a nephew would be there. So whenever someone new showed up in the house, although she's a very good sleeper and always has been, I noticed that she would start waking up whenever we had house guests for multiple days. And so that led me to decide to get an au pair so that she would get used to someone who was always in our home and they could be considered like an extended part of our family. So whenever I needed to travel, she would be available. Um, but I also learned from the first nanny that I hired um, in general, I would need a nanny care for about 50 hours a week. And then I could cover off on additional work once my daughter went to sleep at night. Um, but when I traveled, that nanny started to feel overloaded because then she might need to cover like 60 or 70 hours a week if she was spending the night. And so in addition to having an au pair, I hired a nanny. So both of them never works more than 40 hours a week. The au pair can average fewer hours in a given week um, because her primary role in the house is to be backup care or to help me in the morning if I have an early set of meetings that day and I can't engage with my daughter. It's always been important to me to protect our morning routine and our nighttime routine um, so that she can begin and end her day with me. We read stories and books in the morning um, and then I get to do her bath time and everything and we sing songs before she goes to bed at night and I think it's knowing what's important and critical to create your bonds with your children has been what I have found most precious and most valuable and then uh, not being afraid to ask for help I know that I can't do it all it's been a very good lesson in humility but it's the way that I am able to manage so many other responsibilities in addition to having a really great relationship with my little girl there's so many things there that make so much sense. I just wanted to pull two of them out. One where you say you have, you know, your morning routine and your evening routine. And I think that is so important because whatever, you know, even if you don't have the luxury of having both morning and evening, if there's one thing you can say, you can try to carve out with your kids now as your daughter's little. And then when they're older, I tried to always um, and I shared custody of my kids, so I didn't have them every day. So I had a different situation, but I tried to always make sure we sat down to dinner as they were getting older. So we had that time together. So no matter what, we sat down to get to dinner. There were no phones at the table allowed. And, you know, 
grudgingly as my kids got older, sometimes my son especially didn't want to do it, but that was our thing. So we had, you know, that thing. And Mm -hmm. the other thing I just wanted to mention is there was so much talk, you know, and this already is like years past about having it all and making sure you can do it all. And, you know, we've all really realized that's a complete myth, but that's okay because you don't need to have and do it all but by figuring out ways to get everything done that needs to be done that's what's important and it seems like you figured out such a great system for yourself yeah I um I I think I, I use the word humility because I used to be the person who actually wanted to be superwoman I wanted to be able to do it all and wear all the hats juggle everything and I realize that that's just like bravado and like overconfidence to think that you can do it all you can wear all the hats um and 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 I like spent time I have a lot of great friends who would say well like Lorinda yes I have this and this and this but I also have this support system and this support system so you have to think through what are the things that you can't do and to me I kind of started to think about it as like I delegate things at work all the time and I know what I'm good at at work and what I'm not good at and where I need to rely on my peers. And I took that same approach to thinking about managing my family life. And I love your comments around like dinner. And so now that my daughter is starting to go to daycare, sometimes dinner time is becoming like the beginning of our nighttime routine where I used to take the opportunity to, um, like she would start dinner with the nanny when she was at home and then I would get there to finish dinner with her. But now when she comes home with me from daycare because it's in my office building. So it's great. She gets to come to work with me. She goes home with me and then we do dinner at home. And that's the beginning of our night routine. Um, And I've also started to find fun ways to make our weekend special. And so um, I think those are, it's important to find like, what are the special moments that you can try to protect? Uh, Don't allow it to become like rigid because I think that's when we can almost create a box for ourselves that creates unnecessary stress and anxiety. Um, But letting myself like flow and be in the moment, but find the things that she enjoys and I enjoy are super important. Do you have any time in there for yourself, just for you? Because that's important too. It is. Um, So I've been doing that mostly at night. Um, Like I've been telling some of my friends lately, like I'm trying to find time to date again, which is uh, uh, different. Um, And and it's figuring out like, so what's the night in a week where I can compromise on the nighttime routine, but have time for myself? Or like I did a girl's trip last month and I went to go to a concert in another city. And so I left her with the au pair for a weekend, which she was great with. She had fun. I FaceTime her every day when I'm on the road for work or for fun. And I don't take trips without her often. Like I'm actually taking her on a trip to the islands. It's a work trip, but we're going to the islands next month. And so I try to bring her with me to lots of places, but um, I do find those moments for myself. And on a day-to-day basis, I try to start my day at 5.30 or 6 a.m. So before she gets up, she wakes up at about 7 or 7.30. So if I get up before she does, I have time to meditate, exercise, 
shower and then be ready for her when she is awake. And, um, and if I don't do all of those things in the morning, then I try to find a way to squeeze those things in once she's in bed at night so that I'm either starting or ending my own day with something that grounds me and gives me peace and time to reflect. That sounds amazing. I wanted to talk a little bit about um, you being a breast cancer survivor. You mentioned your father. I happen to know because I saw you speak um, about this, that cancer really runs in your family, um, unfortunately. But it seems it, it would be great if you could talk a little bit about that and also how you navigated dealing with breast cancer as well as working. Yeah, so um, what's predominant in my family has been breast cancer and prostate cancer, which I've learned from where I was treated. Those can be uh, common conditions across the different genders of, of men and women. Um, and so I've been very fortunate that because I listened to my doctors, I think early detection is key because it's been Breast Cancer Awareness Month. I always share that like my first mammogram happened when I was 27. If I had waited until I was 40, who knows what, what, what would be my life story. But my oldest sister was diagnosed when she was 32. And so I had a doctor who said, we need to start five years before your closest family member's diagnosis. And, um, I, and my doctors have always reinforced for me that it is important to like face the hard truths. Um, from a work perspective, one of my favorite books that I quote often is Jim Collins' book, Good to Great. And in it, he talks about uh, in facing the brutal facts. And so I have always been very inquisitive. I don't necessarily enjoy science, but I treat my body like it's the magic school bus. So I'm always trying to understand what the doctors are explaining to me, what the research is saying. And I ask a lot of questions and I always have follow-up appointments. Um, so the beginning of that journey was difficult. Um, and I have always had amazingly supportive managers. And so um, at that same event, I remember there was another uh, program that was launched by publicists called Working with Cancer. And I've been fortunate that I've always felt comfortable explaining what's going on to my direct manager because um, I've always had really healthy relationships with them. There have been times where they've encouraged me to tell more people where they felt like others want to know, Lorinda, people care about you. And there have been times where I've been comfortable with that and times where I wasn't. And so um, in the very beginning, when I um, ended up having a lumpectomy at the age of 28, um, I remember when I needed to be out for an extended period of time as a very, very tight circle who knew what was going on in my life. Um, and from a work perspective, I just managed through that. And, um, and at that time in my life, I was an extreme workaholic. I probably still am a little bit of a workaholic, but the challenge for me was like my boss would say to me, like, Lorinda, you need to make sure you're taking care of you. And so um, that was really healthy for me. I think the hardest part for me in my uh, managing work with my health experience was there was a period of time where I was tested like almost every six weeks because they kept thinking that they were finding something that was cancerous. And so I kept having increasingly more invasive follow-up testing. And it wasn't the, it was the constant uncertainty for a number of years of not knowing whether or not uh, this next appointment was going to be the drop 
that would like change everything. And that was very distracting from work. And so when I talk about like managing anxiety and, and thinking through like what's going on in your head, um, I, I read a lot of books at that time that actually helped me focus more. And I actually did not, I changed companies. And so I wasn't talking a lot about what was going on in my personal life, but I relied heavily on my family and boyfriend at the time to help me navigate through the stress that that created as I went through those experiences. And then when they did find something that was cancerous, um, at that point, I was um, being treated in another state. So I was living in a place where I didn't necessarily feel like I had the best options for care right around me. So I was traveling to another state for care. And so I felt like I had to then explain to my manager, like I need to travel for X, Y, Z reason. And the traveling back and forth gave me comfort and confidence. I did have a family member where I was going for treatment and support. And then ultimately when they said like, we need to operate within a month, um, that was a blow for me in a major way. And one of the biggest gifts I always say that I was given at the time was I had a manager who said to me, um, Lorinda, I know you are still trying to do everything. Um, because for me, work was my distraction to, to navigate through the stress. And so I was working and I was trying to prepare for being out of work for like six weeks. Um, cause I, I, and I was like very methodical of somebody can do, I'd like delegated things and my manager sat me down and said, this is not going to be easy for you to hear, but you have to act like you don't know what's going to happen on the other side of this. And What's most important, I'm going to get emotional telling this story, but he's like, what's most important, and, and this was a man, he's like, what's most important is that you are not worried about what's going on here and that you can focus on this for what you need. And, um, and it was the best thing because my six weeks of recovery actually became six months. I had uh, some issues with pain management coming out of my surgery. I then had a stitch that reopened, so it delayed my ability to start physical therapy. And I ended up having this six-month recovery window where I didn't want – I had great colleagues who wanted to come and see me. I had friends who wanted to come see me. And I decided to become more public about what was going on in my life Um but I actually did not want to be seen by a lot of people because of what I was experiencing and going through. And I felt like a shell of myself going through the bilateral mastectomy. And then I was so weak. Like I, at one point I couldn't even cut an apple and that's how weak my arms were. And so um, rebuilding through all of that was um, a great pressure and, um, and, 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 a great pressure and, and, and pushed me to focus on understanding what was most important. And when it came to managing work, I was really grateful for being able to take medical leave during that time and just focus on myself. Um, and I, I say like the gift coming out of it because my employer at the time was extremely supportive uh, and was prepared for me to come back. And they were part of a, the marketer in me decided to send like a weekly newsletter of how is Lorinda because um, <laughs> I wasn't allowing people, a, a ton of people to come see me. 
but I wanted people to be aware of like how I was doing mentally, physically, and emotionally. And it got me really in touch with authenticity. So I now say like authenticity is my superpower. I don't know how to be anybody other than who I am 100%. And, um, and that six month really like pressure tested when you think about like how um, a diamond is made from all of the force and the pressure and how like fire purifies gold. I think that the, the space and time that my former employer was willing to give me actually opened up for me to really think through who I am and what's important to me. And that's allowed me to show up in, in the way that I lead and manage today. And so it's helped me be really empathetic with others going through difficult moments um, and probably helped me really figure out how to tap into transparency in a really effective way that does not require oversharing, but it does allow me to let people in to support me and to empathize with others, which is very different from sympathy, but truly empathize with other people in a way that um, can help me give them the support that the way that they want to be supported and not, and which I, what, which is what I think makes sympathy different from empathy. Like in, when people sympathize, they often will be like, I'm going to treat you the way I want to be treated. But empathy means you understand how somebody else wants to be treated. And then you give them what they need at that time to help them cope. And I think that my difficulties have helped me grow in that way as a person holistically. And it, it makes me show up at work in a different way. That's beautiful. <laughs> I mean, all of that, you said that was so beautiful. As a leader, having other people that are either going through cancer and, or even just, you know, the world is nuts right now and it's very anxiety provoking. But as a leader, if for whatever someone is dealing with, what is the, what are some tips you might give to others for having that empathy when, when dealing with their employees? And obviously you still have to get the job done. They still have to get the job done, but how do you do that in an empathetic way and, and listen to them really? Yeah. Um, it requires a lot of patience and, um, and I will say like, I've grown through it. Like there are times where I was managing people. I look back now on how I dealt with moments when people had sick loved ones or were dealing with difficulties. And I was showing up in a sympathetic way. Like you need this, you need flowers. You need me to send you food, you need that. And that's not what people always want in those moments. Like that might be how I would want the acknowledgement of the difficulty of my situation. Um, and what I've learned is to ask questions, but not in, a, in an invasive way. And so I let, I, I, I do what I call hold space for people. So um, I typically will like try to actually encourage people to take time away from work. Like, and it's, and I, and, and I always can empathize and say, I know there's a desire to let work be the distraction from what you're going through, but like go feel that and, and, and feel it in a way where you are supported. Like I remember in the time when I was like showing up at work every day, like I, the very next week I was going to meet with my breast surgeon and find out like all the next steps. And my boss looked at me and was like, 
I don't know how you aren't in a corner crying right now. Like, why are you like leading all of these meetings? And I just said like, cause I don't know if I'm going to come back out of the corner if I go in a corner and cry. So this is a lot easier for me to like focus in this way. And so I transparently could share some aspect of that with people when they're going through difficult moments. And so I can say like, I know what it's like to be able to distract yourself with this that is completely unrelated with the difficult situation that's happening. But whether it's being mad, being frustrated, being sad, you need to go and experience that and do it in a way where work is not a distraction. Because to your point, work still has to get done. So it's like, let me take that load off of your plate. Um, if you want to talk to us, you can talk to us. But let me make you not responsible for that. So that is not a burden that you need to carry. Because, yes, the business does need to go forward. But you don't have to worry about that. And I think of like the former manager, Lorinda, and wishes that I could have said some of those words in some of those moments. Um, but it helps me think that I am showing up for people today in a way that is is helpful to them. And um, and because I can hold space for them, whether it is somebody that actually does want to cry on my shoulder or whether it's a person that just wants to let me know what's happening in the background and they deal with it separately. I can always say here are firm resources that are available for you completely confidential. I don't have to know anything that's going on. And so I can consistently reiterate and I always make sure that I'm aware of what the resources are that a company offers that can help someone navigate, whether it's cancer, the loss of a loved one, the difficulty of a spouse going through the transition of a job loss or anything like that. All of those things that cause stress and trauma um, in a family as they navigate through the transition. I think the, the best thing we can do is hold space for somebody and acknowledge what they tell you they want from you, but also try to alleviate any other pressure that you might be creating in their life. Listening to you, it really makes me think about the fact of, I've been doing this podcast for 10 years and it's so interesting to me because the world, I think in terms of, working and work-life balance or whatever you want to call it for people that don't like that word, I do like it, is really about being your authentic self at work too, because there's such a, there's such a close line between the two. And that's what I'm hearing from you, that really you bring your real self to work, which doesn't mean you share all the details of yourself, but yeah. you bring your real self. Do you agree? Yeah. I definitely agree. I um I actually was asked this question on like a personal branding panel recently. And I talked about how my younger self, I essentially had like a work persona and a personal persona. And I concluded over time, like that was just too much stress to think through. I want to be seen as this cool hit person that like knows all the hot spots and can do this and do that. And then I want to be seen as this professional that has like all of this ambition and uh, gravitas when it comes to, I want to be this type of executive. And so I've just embraced that this is one person and, uh, and this one person, um, 
can code switch, can uh, can know the hot song and the hot dance moves, but also help you walk through a PL. And and the more that other people can understand that this is one person that these things coexist within, um, I think it helps everybody else uh, embrace it in themselves more so. Um, I feel that the worst thing you can do is feel like you have to wear a mask when you walk into a space. And I feel like most of us go through life thinking that we need to assimilate or wear a mask to fit into different spaces or be accepted in different ways. And the more that you can just be yourself. Uh, one of the things that I like to say is that I think most of us go through life trying to mute ourselves and be more of this bland shade of gray so that we can all be alike. But we were actually all created by God to be bold blues and golds and reds and greens and this to create this vibrant mosaic in the world. And the more that I just allow myself to shine through, then the more other people can shine through. There's this great Marianne Williamson quote that kind of reflects that um, aspect. And I think that like the more I let myself shine through, the more freedom other people feel to just be themselves. And I also then say like, it is really hard to hate up close that like the more you actually get to know the humanity of other people, the more it breaks down whatever stereotypes are in your mind. And you start to realize that you probably have more in common with others than you might think from a distance, from what you see on TV or from what you read on a book. Um, I grew up in the rural South and I was often the first black person that many white children met in the state that I lived in. And they would say to me, I'm surprised you're not cussing or you don't know these rap lyrics and you're not trying to steal from me. And my response was always, don't believe everything you see on TV. And so um, I think the more that we can challenge ourselves to do that, the more that we can help others, like just let their full essence and embodiment shine and it would actually make us a better society as a whole. Amen. <laughs> I 100%, I 100% agree with you. And then just to sort of add to that or pull it together, my last question is, is there one piece of advice that has really helped guide you through your life and your career that you can please share with us? Hmm. Huh. I can't say that there has been like one guiding piece that has holistically shaped who I am. But I would say profession, there's like a professional thing that I often come back to. And then there is a personal thing that I often come back to. And so professionally, I always come back to like, if you do what you love and you find what you're good at, the money will follow. So I have never chased a title or a salary in my career. I've always tried to figure out where my passion points align with my interests. And I fundamentally believe that that is when you, I can show up as my best self. And if I do that in, in environments that value what I bring to the table, everything else will work out. And that has, is what has allowed me to prosper in my career. Um, and, and that looking for that mission alignment, when I think about um, a lot of people get nervous around interviews and I always say I'm interviewing companies just as much as they're interviewing me <laughs> because I want to figure out, is this a place where I can be and where what I bring to the table 
is what they're looking for. Can I make the impact here with the way that I operate and with the things that I value and the way that their organization wants to move forward? Um, and so that has been a guiding post for me and how I've managed my career. And then personally, I would say um, it comes back to uh, a belief that everything will always work itself out. So when I am going through difficult moments, a lot of my friends often comment on how I can always find the silver lining in the cloud, or I can always try to think through what is the lesson to be learned here? So I don't ever think of difficulties as the, the conclusion of the story. It's not the final chapter. I'm always like, well, this isn't how my story ends. So there has to be another page coming. And I think that is what has helped fuel my resilience and my positivity. Um, and I don't think the two things uh, overlap, but I think that the two have come together in a beautiful way that have helped me uh, grow into the person that I am today. Well, you're a wonderful person and this has been fantastic and really, really insightful and we appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been a joy to have the discussion with you. Thank you.